back for second part of this fantastic uh, podcast series with Jolene from Julene. Julene. Oh, <laughs> it's because I'm nervous. No. <laughs> from the Dale Carnegie Institute. I got Carnegie. that. Carnegie. Right. Oh my oh. God. <laughs> so we're, do you want me to well, do yeah, that? Yeah, Dan, why don't you do this? Going. <laughs> All right. So we're here to talk about leadership. And when I was in school, there was a major called organizational leadership and supervision. Mm-hmm. And we always thought it was kind of like rocks for jocks. It was like the easiest kind of major. But in my older years here, I'm starting to see the value in studying leadership. And um, so really excited to talk about it and get into it with you. Awesome. Leadership is such a broad topic. So it's really interesting how we define leadership and some of the things that are so critical right now, especially in, um, in the changes that have taken place over the past several years and what organizations are looking for in their leaders. So happy to answer your questions. So what, I guess, starting off, what are organizations looking for in leaders these days? Number one, they're looking for agility and flexibility. As all of us know, business changes, situations change. Um, Change happens very rapidly in most industries that folks are working in these days. And we need our leaders to be able to make those shifts and to be able to to lead their teams through that as well. So flexibility and agility is critical and being able to keep business happening when changes are taking place. The other thing is that they're they're really looking for leaders who understand how to work with people, communicate, coach, develop, and retain people. Um, as we know that there right now we have it's it's a pretty tight talent situation and we want to retain our best talent. And you know, that old saying that people leave managers and they don't leave organizations, that's absolutely true. So I think we can all think about in our career, the the good leaders that we've worked with and the ones that are not so good. And so, you know, managers are key in retaining top talent. And that's a a really huge concern um, for the majority of industries that we work with, that they want to keep their good people and grow their good people. As a developer, and especially as a builder developer, where we're kind of also wearing the GC hat, I think the leadership thing is so important. We're constantly surrounded by experts in their little in their fields, plumbing, electricians, and and we really it's to do a good job. We have to allow them the room to help us make the best decision, and not just point them in a direction in a militant style and say, "This is what we're doing." Uh, we want to elicit that expertise from them. Well, I mean, isn't it true that uh, I mean, uh, I don't know, if, is it true that most leaders, they're not experts in everything. They're just very good listeners and good delegators. Is that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So there's there's no way to be an expert at everything. It's really about being able to also lean on the expertise of the people that work for you and the people you work with and be able to be humble enough to be able to do that. Um, and when, when we leverage that, that is when we can really maximize the performance of the people that we're working with and bring out the best in them by saying, hey, you know, you're, Ray, you're awesome at X, Y, and Z. You know, let's, let's provide him the opportunity to show his excellence. And good leaders know when to do that and how to do that effectively. I think my biggest problem is that I often lead with anger sometimes. Like, it's not an effective way to get a point across. It shuts people down pretty quickly. So I think that I have a tendency to react and not respond. Mm-hmm. Is that necessarily because you're not ne- you're not an angry person, in my no. opinion? It's more so just because there's numerous challenges that you're trying to work in and you've got many constraints around those? Or and Truthfully, it's probably that you're frustrated or that you're anxious about a situation. 
Um, and, and I think that's the best way to control it, but sure, it's not, it typically doesn't yield the best result. Yeah. yeah and, and I mean, part of that is, um, number one is self-awareness. I mean, in terms of being in a leadership role, everybody has areas of development, right? So part of, part of also being a good leader is having the self-awareness to know and acknowledge, you know, here are the things that I still need to work on and be honest with your team and the people that you work with about that. You know, so Mark, to your point, if, you know, if you react in a way that you feel like, hey, you know, that probably wasn't the best way to do it, being able to acknowledge that and go to the people that, you know, were on the other end of that reaction and be like, hey, listen, I'm trying to work on this. And clearly I didn't react in the right way. So just giving you guys a heads up that I'm working on this and I realize that it's not the most effective way to do that. So also, you know, being able to be vulnerable to show that, you know, we all have areas of growth and opportunity to really work through skills that we want to develop. And that's also a great part of leadership is because then you are modeling for other people, you know, how to be able to do that. I mean, I definitely think it's a reflection of kind of how I came up in the industry. The best superintendents and the most seasoned construction guys used to get in fistfights in the parking lot. They were screamers. The right. subs, yeah. you get called into the trailer and you got your head ripped off. And that was an effective way of, of communicating on a job site. And that's so why I, I think I, I learned from that. I'm trying very hard to be aware of it and, and not emulate that. Do you think it's because of the field that, that you or we are now in versus, because mm-hmm. I mean, 100%. We, yeah, because Ray and I started in corporate America and that was, they would, I mean, you would never hear someone <laughs> screaming in corporate America. No, no. Um, they never got riled up. It was, it was completely the opposite. So it was almost to the point where it was, it was too much the opposite where, you know, no one got yelled at in corporate America except when people talk behind your back about yes. you. Generational yes. too, because I think like some of the older guys were more the screamers. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what we're dealing with too is there's a lot of industry norms and, mm-hmm. um, you know, at Dale Carnegie, we have worked extensively in the construction industry and I have a, I have a specific client. I, um, I've been working with them for five years and they have a, um, they have a team of, you know, field techs who work in construction. They're out at their sites and, you know, that's a, that's a cultural norm. And one of the things that they're trying to do is that they've been getting, they've been getting um, some pretty nasty feedback from their customers about the way in which their field techs interact at the, at the site. And that's not, you know, it's not doing well for their brand. So, you know, they're really about transforming that. And, you know, to your point, I think it's generational um, in some ways, in some industries, they're really trying to transform that because now the norms are changing a bit and their customers are saying to them, that's not working for us. You know, we need to feel like you're a partner, that we're working with you and that we have the mutually the same goal and how we get there should be through more of a partnership. There are so many good points there. There's nothing more frustrating than being on a job site or talking to a sub and they're saying the he said, she said thing. They each blame each other for issues and then you're stuck in the middle. Now I'm a mediator for this two these two groups. You know, I, I almost say it, there's a, when is the appropriate time to be mad? Because people will make mistakes. We have to acknowledge that. But you also understand that at some point, either we have enough knowledge to know when it's a good or bad mistake versus whether or not they just keep making the same mistakes and shouldn't be working with us. And then you can, then you can get all fired up. Well, I think there's a couple things here, which is, you know, you guys are in some unique positions where it's almost that you're managing without authority, right? Mm-hmm. So these people don't necessarily report to you directly. You're not their boss necessarily, 
right? But we are their customer. We are. We're, cu- we're yeah. the customer. You're the contractor customer. Yeah. Right. So, you know, part of that is, you know, managing those relationships to understand what the expectations are and set, you know, set that expectation. And, you know, people ask, people, it's funny, managers and leaders ask all the time, is it okay to get mad? Yeah, of course it's okay to get mad. Um, but it's the way in which you um, take that emotion and how do you utilize that in a productive way? Um, it becomes unproductive when, I mean, we all know that, you know, um, arguments go nowhere. Yeah, Arg- arguments are fueled by emotion and, um, you know, essentially, to, you know, there's an expression, one of Dale Carnegie's principles to get the best of an argument, avoid it yeah. because pe- people, people essentially walk away angry and they stop listening. They stop listening and it's, and it's a lot of fiery emotion. So how do we turn this argument or we turn this emotion into a useful debate? Debate is different. Debate is using facts, expertise, experience. So that way we can come to the right end. So there's a way to use that emotion to develop a solution or to work through that situation in a way that we can leverage our expertise and leverage also the experience of the other people that we're trying to work with. Would this be valid advice for a leader? You know, if if you feel that your emotions might be getting the best of you, but you want to communicate what you're feeling that moment, draft an email, but don't send it and then come back to it in an hour, in a day, something Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Yeah. That, I mean, that, it's, that, that quintessential advice is, is really important. We've got to, you know, the best we can do in diffusing the emotion, the better off we are. Because as we know, if, we, if we're in reaction mode, we typically don't say or write the things that we would intentionally want to say or do if we weren't in an elevated emotional state. And especially for leaders, because leaders are role models. They're mentors to people. They're supposed to, you know, inspire other people to want to achieve. And part of that is by being able to frame feedback in a way that's valuable and useful and not condemning. As a new developer or an investor coming up in the industry or anyone in general, I mean, you're like Ray was saying, we're interacting with so many different people at so many different levels within so many different types of organizations. Um, how do you kind of assert yourself as that leader and kind of portray that and in front of, of the multiple types of people that you're working with? Across the board, it's we have to ask ourselves the question, what level of trust and rapport do I have with, with this person or these people? It's nearly impossible to show genuine leadership and for you to be perceived that way, unless you have done the due diligence of being able to create that forum for credibility. Sometimes it's through reputation. Okay. So people know, hey, you know, Ray's got a great reputation. He's coming here. He's going to work with us. And, um, and that start, you know, that starts off the relationship, but it's our job to then take maybe that reputation piece and be able to show that in the way that we interact with people, the way that we build trust, the way that we get the job done. Trust is critical. We can't, we cannot be a good leader and showcase our leadership in any way unless people trust us. And I think some of it might go back to our last uh, topic on public speaking as well. You know, talking to subcontractors and showing them how passionate you are about the project and about the work that they're specifically tasked to do, I think ultimately get, they have more respect for you as the developer 
slash customer because you're actually genuinely interested in the work that they're doing and helping them succeed in what they're doing mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit a critical point there, which is genuine interest goes a long way. You know, and if we're connecting with people and understanding what's important to them and le- and sincerely making them feel important about the work that they're doing, that creates that trust that we're talking about. I love what you said a minute ago about um, leaders are people who inspire others to achieve. I had a general manager where I used to work, used to say that he felt his job was to stand at the bottom of the tree and to help push you up to the higher branches and uh, kind of sticks with you. So my question is, what are, what are on the other side, what are some traits of people who lack leadership? How do they stifle growth in the people around them? A couple of things, and a couple of things that we see that um, in organizations that, number one, may have high retention rate because of um, managers who are not able to grow their people is, uh, number one, they don't, they don't delegate. Mm-hmm. So they harbor all the work for themselves. And delegation is not just farming out work to other people. Delegation is really about how do I develop somebody and develop their skills by providing them with an opportunity to do something, learn something, or achieve something that they haven't done before. So for example, if I know that, say, Mark wants to lead a certain project that he doesn't previously have experience doing or expertise in doing, I'm going to give him that opportunity to do that. I'm going to delegate that project to him and be able to coach him and help to develop him in that role and provide him with direction. So that way he starts to have that experience and be able to build his skills in an area that's important to him and also important to the company. So delegation is really a growth opportunity. So when leaders don't delegate and they're not growing their people through that avenue of being able to do that, people feel frustrated. And it also shows that you don't trust your people. You don't have, you you don't trust them enough to be able to provide them with, you know, that, um, what's the expression that you don't have the, you don't have the opportunity to provide them with that, you know, that distance and say, Hey, I trust you go out. If you fail, it's okay. I'm going to be there to help you and support you because we've all failed at some point. In order to grow, we need to fail and see that as an opportunity to learn. Right. You're never, what do we say all the time, Dan? You're never growing if you're not nervous or um, uncomfortable. Yeah. That's right. You always take taking new risks. You're not trying. Right. That's what I say, skiing. Right. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) You know, and I think the other thing too is um, if your inability as a leader to innovate, all right, so you stay within the box. You're not thinking about how can I do things differently, better? How can I, you know, progress and help my team progress by thinking about how can we be more productive? Uh, you know, how can I make things, you know, how can I make the environment better for the people that work for me and the, and within the organization? And how do I, how do we grow in our efficiency as a team and an organization? If we're not consistently thinking about that and we're staying status quo, then, you know, uh, your, your people are going to be status quo. And that's not a way to, to, you know, that's really not a good way to develop your organization. I guess as a leader also, I mean, how do you deal with the the myriad of of personalities and, and you know, that come with, you know, running an organization or running a team? Because there's so many different conflicting personalities and, you I know. I think you say organization funny. I do. You pronounce the I. It's like organization. Organization. Organiza- that's, yeah, do that again. Organization. You got it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's a, it's How do you a, say Carnegie? 
My mom always says Broadway. She goes, Broadway. <laughs> so, so dramatic, mom. Like my mother-in-law says Bertucci's instead of <laughs> Bertucci's. And we're like, no, 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 it's Bertucci's. She's like, yeah, that's what I said, Bertucci's. We're like, okay. Broadway. <laughs> so yeah. What was so, the question? <laughs> so no, I, I was just going back and asking about how you deal with multiple personalities mm-hmm. within within your organization. Or within a job site. Yeah. <laughs> or within, More so within like a job seeing site. Through this question. Or, or yeah. within an individual. No, yeah, no, I it's mean, more within a job site because, sure. you, you know, all different subcontractors. Going back to Ray's question about, you know, people pointing fingers at each other all yeah. the time and, you know, just dealing with those different types of personalities. And you're dealing with owners of companies a lot of the time. So, you know, you have a lot of, you know, people that are butting heads. Yeah, so a couple things, which number one, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. That's 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 the common error that's made is that everybody communicates the same way or everybody's like me and they communicate the way that I communicate or they should want to communicate the way that I communicate and what you see is what you get. It's not effective. And so a couple of different ways, which is number one is really talking with the people that you're working with and understanding them as people, not just as workers. So if we talk to them, understand who they are, then we can we really can bring into the conversation and say, you know, hey, we're going to be working together. What's the best, you know, what's the best way for us to work together? I want to understand you. I want to understand the way you communicate. What's the best way for us to navigate this? People appreciate that. They want to know that what matters to them matters to you. And we can accomplish a lot of different things there, which is now we're setting the stage for how we're going to work together. And so when things get off course, we can go back and say, hey, you know, listen, we had that conversation and we, we decided that the best way to go about working together is to, you know, number one, you know, if we if we have an issue to, you know, just the two of us talk about it together, for example, and not bring it up in front of the whole team. And so we we want to set norms with individuals and talk to them about that. Number two is, as leaders, we want to take a lot of time also to observe how are individuals interacting with other people. So we learn a lot by observation and figuring out, what am I seeing here? How do I adapt and be flexible to seeing what is effective for other people in terms of how they're communicating and how they're, say, getting along with other people and tap into that? For example, you know, there are some people like, Give me the information, be as direct as possible. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't give me the why. Just tell me what I need to do and tell me now. Other people, that's not going to work for them. You know, give me the why. What's the time frame? When do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? What's the end result? So we've got to really tune in and observe to uh, observe what works and really adapt to that. Can definitely relate to that. Yeah. So slight tangent on leadership, but um, conference calls. We've all been on terrible conference calls. What can we do better as leaders to make those productive meetings? Yeah, conference calls Conference calls are challenging. Um, a couple things, which is if you have the opportunity, because you're on, say, um, maybe you're using Zoom or using mm-hmm. WebEx or whatever it might be, if you can use your camera, use it. Really? Absolutely. <clears throat> My colleagues say that I, I camera pressure people. <laughs> because you know what? If you have the visual, there's so you, you can read people's body language. There's so much more engagement. Because when people are on conference calls, let's face it, what else are they doing? Yeah. Checking emails. They're doing checking their email. They're mm-hmm. like eating their lunch. They're doing, you know, they're doing whatever. And so part of I'm that is, of that. Yep. I mean, we all are, right? And uh, so if we if we use the camera and we have that visual, number one, we get a lot more 
accomplished mm-hmm. and we have a lot more engagement with people on the, who are on the phone. If that's not possible, make sure that it's an interactive conversation because sometimes we get on conference calls and say, we're like, here's the agenda for the call today. And we're just droning on and on and on. We're not necessarily engaging people in conversation. Hey, you know, Mark, what do you think? Or, hey, you know, I know this is really important to you and and be asking for feedback and also asking for, asking questions to get people to engage. And it's not just a lecture. The next thing is to make sure in the agenda to incorporate opportunities for discussion. I guess just having an agenda is probably also a good tip. (laughs) My bar is very low for a good conference call. Yeah, agenda is critical because... myself, never have a conference call with Mark. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? That's funny because you should say that. And and when we have an agenda, though, because it helps to keep people on track. Yeah. And and at least the people who are not listening, because, you know, we selectively Mm -hmm. listen most of the time. What'd you say? No, just kidding. No, exactly right. So if, if if then we know, oh, the next piece, oh, look at agenda item C, I've got to speak up here. This allows people to clue, start cluing back in. And also it, it really helps with the purpose and performance of the call. I used to call people out on my previous in my previous oh, job yeah. all the time on conference calls. Cause I knew that they were just mute themselves mm-hmm. and then just weren't paying attention. So I'd just call them out and be like, hey, Mark, what do you think about that? Uh, and they'd be like, no, and then it'll be an awkward silence because like, Mark. Mark, because you know they're scrambling to get yeah. off mute. Well, it's worse to no, know. <laughs> no, you know what? At Dale Carnegie, I do a, a lot of online training. So we do virtual live online training. Um, and so a lot of the time cameras are on, but sometimes cameras are off and um, people are on the line and we do a lot of whiteboarding. We do discussion. And so when I pe- see that people aren't interacting, I'll call them out. I'll be like, hey, we haven't heard from you, Sally. What's going on? You know? And so, you know, Sally's like scrambling to come off mute, you know? But um, no, it's important. I think if we can have the visual, it's it's critical. Is that active feedback for leadership position? You know, if you find that you're trying to get your message across, but most people are kind of tuning out, does that necessarily mean that it's their fault? Or is it maybe you need to ratchet up how you're presenting or what you're presenting or cut it short or do something, make an adjustment? Yeah, it's um that that is a you you really dictate the experience of those that you're talking to. So if you're not getting any feedback, you're getting those glazed over looks, you're not getting um, any response on your conference call, that's up to you because your audience is a result of you. So that means you need to change something, shift something, up your energy, really tune into the needs of the audience, ask some questions, get a discussion started. And the thing about a presentation is it should be a larger conversation. Leaders initiate and inspire through conversation and understanding what the needs of their people are and incorporating them, incorporating that into the results that they're trying to achieve. I almost feel like communication is like 95% of the battle and 5% is the execution of it because if you don't have the right communication, you're not, you're not even, even if they execute hundred percent, if they don't know what they're supposed to do, you're setting yourself up for failure. I don't know. It's true. I mean, and, and uh, one of the if we think about what drives leadership, uh, communication is one of the top drivers of leadership. And depending on what level you are within a company or, you know, within a project that you're working on, what that means to you is very different. You know, we see a lot of senior leaders, their job is to have a communication strategy so that way it tears down. So that way everybody who says an individual contributor or is, you know, managing another team, that it, that they know how those people are going to communicate. So that way, everybody in the organization or everybody on that project has the information that they need. And that is a huge challenge. How often do you see texts or emails being taken out of context, whether it's tone or Every message? day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
you know, societally speaking, we, this is just a personal, you know, this is just a personal opinion. We hide behind that. So much more can be accomplished if we just picked up the phone or had an individual conversation. And um, I think that, I think the pendulum swung way in the other direction. And I think it's swinging back because we realize that much more can be accomplished if we don't always hide behind that. Dan's giving me a smirk here. So I already know what he's going to say. And I will acknowledge that, you know, him and I have very different ways of communicating. From a, from the standpoint of where I am in the company, I want everything to be in writing because if there's any confusion, you can just go back and say, here's what we talked about. Here's what we agreed upon. But I'm also very guilty of sending messages and then being taken out of context when I'm either... Well, why don't you call and then follow up with a confirming email? Huh. Uh, That's a... I think Mark That's just like, hit the nail on the head yeah. right there. Uh, <laughs> I'm all, I am, I am a hundred percent also based on my role. I'm a hundred percent in the camp that either a phone call or a face-to-face meeting is always better than a text message or an email. Well, I think it depends. You don't need so to, do you have, have to have a yeah. face-to-face for a five second thing, but no. you know what I mean? If it's a quick question, then yeah, but. Well, listen, listen to this. So you might, you know, the company Nokia. So Nokia, this was several years ago, they decided for a full month, they, on Tuesdays, they were going to eliminate email, um, internal email completely. So if you had to get something from, you know, somebody on another team, you had to either call them or go to their desk. They just shut down the servers? Wow. Only external email. And so what they discovered was that People did not know the other people that they worked with. So, for example, they accounted for this in the in the study that I read. There's this the one gentleman he worked in accounting, and he kept emailing this person named Jamie for five years. Jamie was a man. He always saw Jamie was a woman. <laughs> oh, okay, oh. and so these were things that were discovered during this month, and other things, you know. Other people were saying, well, I never knew that this person even worked in my building. I thought that they worked in a facility in another city. Meanwhile, they're in a different floor in the same building. So it just, you know, so it was just interesting in the fact that, wow, okay, you know, so much we we rely so heavily on these tools where, you know, just in those four Tuesdays, it, it also just really changed the camaraderie um, within the culture. And then, they, of course, they turned the email back on because, you know, they needed it. but. It was almost to prove a point. I like that story. If only um, they still made good phones. Yeah. That brick phone I had in college. Can we yeah. just agree? <laughs> we need to agree quickly, though, that voicemails are the worst. Don't leave... I just, a ringless voicemail? No, just... no. no or just, like a three-minute voicemail? I, I don't like getting voicemails. I just far prefer you text me like, Dan, it's Mark, call me. I don't listen to voicemails. Is that a poor leadership quality? I want to say no, because I don't really listen to voicemails yeah. either. God, I hate Qu- voicemail. Quite honestly, you know, I... I, I don't have a work phone because I'm on the road so much. I just use my mobile phone. Mm. And so I also say on my voicemail. Oh, that's good. Instead of leaving a voicemail, unless it's urgent, send me an email or shoot me a text. Is there, this is unrelated, but is there an effective way to offer criticism as a good leader? Yes. Okay. So there, let's think about this. There's a difference between criticism and feedback. Is this mm-hmm. the compliment sandwich? No. Okay. So the compliment sandwich doesn't work. Okay, so the comp, you know, it's like, well, here's this great thing, you know, hey, Dan, you're, you know, you did such a great job I with feel that, that project. Comes across so fake. It is. And, and also, what is the person going to remember? They're going to remember the criticism. So there's a difference between criticism and feedback. Criticism is not effective. Criticism is always negative. And criticism does not offer an opportunity for development and growth. Feedback, on the other hand, does. 
So feedback is different because when we give feedback, we also offer the person in providing that feedback, how can we improve? Okay, so now criticism, typically when we hear language and criticism, what does it sound like? You did it wrong. Yeah, very negative. Right. And feedback is different. So feedback is like, we want to understand why this happened. This is going to help with my relationship too. This is great. Okay, so... <laughs> with, with us or your wife or both. <laughs> <laughs> These are life skills, people. Kind of armor. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, feed, feedback is really about, you know, you want to you really understand why... Some, if there's a mistake that's made... We want to understand, is it, is it lack of knowledge? Is it, was it lack of understanding, a, a misunderstanding of expectations? Or, you know, was it just a blatant error? And when we, feedback is about asking questions to understand that so we can address it appropriately. When we criticize, you know, we say, we, hey, you know, there, there's a huge mistake here. And then after the fact, the person's feeling negative, And then we actually find out that it's because they didn't really fully understand how to do the job, how to do the task. They weren't properly trained, for example, or they didn't have the appropriate direction. Maybe the expectations weren't clear. So when we ask those questions, then we can provide an opportunity for them to understand what to do better next time. And, and you know, rarely, rarely are mistakes blatant. Rarely. What about frustration with people? So if, you, if you're really frustrated with someone when is the appropriate time? Do you, do you, how long do you wait? Do you tell them right away or do you kind of step back? And how, when, what's the appropriate time frame? I guess, in order to voice your frustration with someone? That's sort of, that's a depends kind of answer. So, you know, I would say that if there's frustration because of multiple incidences of non-performance or mistake, um, then it's okay. I, I would say it's okay to then say, you know, we've gotten to the point where I'm really frustrated now. You know, there's been there's been a lot. You know, there's been non-performance. There's been a series of errors. We've talked about them. We've discussed them, and we also want to be thinking about: Am I expressing frustration? And I haven't necessarily given the person the opportunity to talk about this, and I'm just reacting here. The second piece of it is, if it's you know, say for it's for the first time, you've never worked with that person before, or this is an isolated incident, let's suspend that frustration and figure out where is that coming from and then make a decision whether or not is it okay or appropriate to then be able to say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm feeling frustrated about this. But as a best practice, let's figure out where it's coming from first, if it's an isolated incident or if this is a long-term situation. And also let's ask ourselves the question, am I frustrated because I haven't done anything about this in the past and I've let this go on? So there are situations that we need to also self-regulate and ask ourselves, at what point have I not been involved in this where it's led to frustration? Do you feel like you're a psychiatrist to some people sometimes? <laughs> I have a master's in clinical psych. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Way to do your research on our guests before they come on the podcast, Dan. God. No, but you know, I, I mean, human. I mean, human behavior is a lot about psychology. So you know, when you know, on a daily basis, when I'm working with our customers, it really is about human behavior, and a lot of that is psychologically based. So, yes and no. I feel like a lot of what we do is is kind of like that. It's almost like you're playing a game. You're not necessarily things may not happen based on certain merits or certain facts, but it may just happen based on 
you know, how friendly you are, how somebody likes you, you know? Things, we've had deals that have come our way and we've gotten them just because we built good rapport with people and we, you know, we were friendly and outgoing. Can you tell us more about uh, your classes? I know we've sort of condensed multiple days of classes into, into a podcast here, but um, tell us, do you guys offer your classes you mentioned online, come out to corporations? Yeah, so there's a, there's a, a variety of ways that we work. So number one, we um, a majority of our work here in the Boston area is that we go out and we work uh, within companies. So we work with them uh, with specific teams or we, we have organizational solutions that we're executing within the company. For example, we would, you know, we're, we're developing a leader, we, we, we would develop a leadership training program um, for all the leaders, say, within a company. Um, that's a majority of the work that we do here in the Boston area. We also have public training programs. So if individuals or teams are working on specific skill areas, say like presentation skills, for example, or leadership, they can come to a program that we offer. So there'll be a variety of professionals in the program for you know multiple sessions or multiple days, whatever it might be, depending on the topic area, and they would learn within that environment. And the third way is that we... Um, we have a digital side of our business. We do virtual live online training. And so that allows for still that interactivity. So nothing's recorded. It's not self-paced. Everybody's live. Um, they're using their video, as I talked about. Mm. And so there's still an opportunity for people to section off in discussion groups based on the software platform that we're using. They get the coaching from the facilitators. And so there's still that live environment, which really helps for our customers who might have people at a variety of different locations that they can't all be in one place. Or we offer those also publicly as well, where you can you know be in one of those programs with a variety of different professionals from different industries. Cool. So the, the types of classes you guys offer include public speaking, leadership skills. Sales. Yeah. Um, human relations, how mm -hmm. to get along with people. Wow. And <laughs> human relations. And um, also a lot of the things that we offer, I mean, there's across the board, we have 270 products. So it can range oh, from, wow. you know, time management. We can talk about um, customer service, conflict resolution. So there's a variety of different topics that folks can uh, really focus in on. Super. And uh, if folks wanted to follow you guys or get in touch, what's the best way for them to do that? A number of different ways. So you can go to our website, dalecarnegie.com. You can go on LinkedIn. And we have a Dale Carnegie LinkedIn page. A lot of people message us through LinkedIn um, and do a search on LinkedIn for Dale Carnegie. Or you can, anywhere that you are basically in the world, you can look up Dale Carnegie wherever you are and you can find a phone number to reach us somewhere. That's awesome. And All through video anyway. They want to find you on LinkedIn. It's Julian, not Jolene. Julian McMullen. There you go. There you go. Julian, Julian with a U. <laughs> <laughs> this has been awesome. This has I, been I mean, very, I've, very helpful. I've a ton. And I think that we can all take something away and hopefully we can all be better communicators and leaders. So thank you very much for being here for these two episodes. And thanks everybody for listening, rating, reviewing, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you thanks so much. Thanks. Cheers. <laughs>